Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past couple of months, we've been looking at the passage from the beginning of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah goes into the temple one day, and instead of just getting on with his normal priestly duties, encounters God face to face. And uh, we're some weeks in, but so far we've managed to get to about verse 4, I'm afraid. So, uh, reading from verse 4. It's talking about the angels here. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. There's a story that, uh, looking out over a calm sea one night, starlit on the deck of a large tanker an officer stood on the bridge and they were making their way across the Atlantic and he turned to his captain and he said it's easy to believe in God on a night like this isn't it sir and the captain replied a little tersely yeah It's easy to believe in a God who is as cold as the sea and as far away as those stars. Sometimes it seems that that is the perception of God that the vast majority of people outside the church have in our nation. And to be honest, if we're totally frank, it is the perception that even some members of the church hold that our God is as cold as the sea and as far away as the stars why is that? why do people hold that view? well probably at least in the west it's partly due to the comfort and security we have in a lot of our lives compared to the rest of the world And really, we need to get rid of some of that complacency and come to a fresh realisation of the power of Almighty God. Because it's only if we do that that the same thing can happen to us as happened to Isaiah in 740 BC. We've already looked at how Isaiah had seen a death in the palace. The king had died. This passage starts with, in the year King Uzziah died. But on the same day, he saw God. 
very much alive in the temple. In other words, disaster struck and Isaiah's world fell apart. But then in the same instant, his whole life came together. He encountered Almighty God and he was never the same again. Suddenly he had purpose and he had direction. In a word, he had a destiny. People often complain, why do bad things happen to good people? There's a whole host of reasons why. And many of them are a total mystery to us. But I do know this. With God, bad things often become good things. With God, bad things are often blessings in disguise. We just don't know it at the time. So it's when things seem to be falling apart in our lives, they're actually just about to come together. Some things have to come apart at the seams so that God can put them back together properly in the way that he intended. You know, the greatest trials and stresses in our life are never wasted if God's in the middle of them. And when I look back over my life to date, some of the hardest times I've gone through have been some of the most important times with God. So if you're currently going through a stressful time, it's important that you look carefully and choose what you want to see in it. We've looked at those opening verses of Isaiah 6 and we talked about them in terms of the different directions in which Isaiah looked as he stood awestruck in the temple. First he looked upwards because he knew that Judah's throne was now empty and his nation was under threat. You'll remember the Assyrians were on the border. But he saw, amazingly, that heaven's throne wasn't vacant. God hadn't retired. He hadn't given up. He was still in charge. And then Isaiah looked around him and he saw God's robes filling the entire temple. And he saw the seraphim flying above. And it says the whole building shook and was filled with smoke. In fact, everything shook. I'm sure Isaiah did as well. Because the message of this was clear. When everything around you is shaking, the message is clear. Fear. Fear the one that even the angels fear. Because that holy fear of God removes something from us. It has the capacity to remove from us the unholy fear of men that otherwise often intimidates us. Tozer once said, He who has been intimate with God cannot be intimidated by men. It's good, isn't it? He who has been intimate with God cannot be intimidated by men. And then Isaiah starts to look inward. 
And he saw probably for the first time a shocking and unforgettable view of himself. It was as though he was taking the lid off the coffin of a six-day-old corpse and probably one that had been in a hot climate. What he saw was stinking. It was rotten to the core. It was death and it was decay. It was a glimpse of the society around him. But what he saw was his own being as it truly was, in all its horror. In the late 60s, there was a psychologist called Thomas Anthony Harris, and he wrote a book called I'm OK, You're OK. And it gave rise to a lot of theories about transactional analysis, and it went on to be a bestseller. It set out to examine the views that people hold about themselves. And it started off by advocating that the ideal position should be, I'm okay, you're okay. Where we are at harmony with who we are ourselves and with our fellow human beings. But if you take that book and read it, ironically, according to the Bible, the one life position that, as Harris puts it, is the least desirable, I'm okay, you're not okay, is actually the healthiest place we can be, according to the Bible. When we finally admit to ourselves that everything isn't well beneath the surface of our life, and we're finally in a position to allow God to do something about it. It's been said that the cross of Christ is the great leveller of people, because it puts everyone on the same terms. All of us are in equal need of the grace of God. And if we encounter God like Isaiah did, that's the way we'll see things from then on. Later on, Isaiah would look outward. He would taste and he would smell the filth of his generation. And in seeing it, he'd feel implicated himself in some of the dreadful things that were going on. And at that point, God would sear him, cleanse him of his sin, and he'd send him out. But before that could happen, Isaiah needed, first of all, to truly see himself. For many today, Isaiah's vision of God doesn't connect with our idea of reality. God belongs to the myths of ancient Rome or Greece. He's absent, he's dead, or he never existed in the first place. Maybe he's a projection of wishful thinking and imagination. Others see God as unknowable, uncaring, unresponsive to human need. And when those people think of the church, what they think of is the decrepit, dead and dying religion. No wonder. No wonder. 
because that's all that many people have encountered in churches. A religious spirit. Something that substitutes ritual and religious activity for life-changing, dynamic and obedient response to the power of the Holy Spirit. Religiosity resists the work of the Holy Spirit. It resists it quite strongly. And the result is a dead formalism. A dead language, dead emotions and a theology that's often just as dead. Dead wrong. We need a fresh vision of God. And that was the key to the success of the rest of Isaiah's earthly ministry. That was the key to the amazing impact that was to flow from his life. Because only a living God can eradicate dead religion and replace it with explosive words and a reviving life. Someone once said, God can use any vessel except a dirty one. I don't believe that's true. God uses dirty vessels all the time. He has to. It's often all that is available to him. But I'll tell you what, God prefers to use a clean one if he can. I know that when it comes to eating or drinking, you know, from cups and plates, I prefer them to be clean. So why wouldn't God? I mean, over the years as a trading standards officer, I can tell you, I have been in and out of all sorts of houses and business premises. And sometimes when you visit, you get offered a cup of tea or coffee. There have been times when I've got to the bottom of the cup of coffee and wished I had not started it. I would have much rather had a clean cup. Some of the farms... They're the worst, I can tell you. When you pick the flies out of the milk before you start. The story of Isaiah is a story about God making a dirty vessel clean. In a single moment, Isaiah went from being a very up-together, well-respected priest in the temple becoming totally unravelled. He went from being composed, from being respectable, from being a religious individual, to being a wrecked man who had lost all of his composure. You know, God often has to take us apart before he can put us back together again. And this is the thrust of Isaiah 6, 5 to 8. It's where Isaiah realises the depths of his own wretchedness and where God does something to clean him. If you feel like your life is falling apart, it's quite likely that God is working to achieve something new in your life. I mean, I can say from my own personal experience that whenever my life has really been shaken and it seems as if everything is falling apart, it's always been a prelude to something amazing and new that's happening with God. A new phase follows that time of falling apart. And so, over time, 
I've come to try and embrace such times as a friend rather than an enemy. Because God who sent them knows exactly what he's doing, even if I don't. And so here's Isaiah, looking at himself. Comparing himself with the sheer holiness of God. And his immediate reaction was to recognise how desperately unholy he was himself. He cries out, woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. goes on to talk about the seraph who came and touched his lips with a burning coal and told him that his sin had been atoned, atoned for. And then it goes on and it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom should I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. We live in a very image-conscious time. You know, the Nike sports brand proudly proclaimed as one of its advertising strap lines, image is everything. The truth is image is nothing. It doesn't matter what kind of image we're cultivating, what labels we have on our clothing, because these are nothing to do with either our character or our destiny. It's just superficial. The masks that we wear have to come off if we're going to have an authentic encounter with God. Because unlike other people, God sees behind our masks. He sees behind the smoke screens we put up and he knows the full extent of who we really are. He knows exactly what we're like. Image is nothing. So much religious activity in churches, in services, in programs, in worship and in prayer meetings can be so much more to do with religious games and spiritual image than actually being about a genuine interaction with God. Some of it's just preening, posturing, looking for the approval and the applause of our fellow men. We try to impress others with the cool image of spirituality that we have so carefully cultivated. But if we were like Isaiah and held up against the true holiness of God, we would be devastated at what we saw and we would be ashamed of it. I was over in Italy once on business and uh, I saw a Roman Catholic priest coming out of a clerical outfitter's. He had on the most spectacular and fashionable black silk priestly vestment from neck to ankle that I've ever seen. It was well fitted, 
it was sleek, it was really well tailored. You know, the Italians can even make a priest look stylish. But appearances can be deceptive. If you'd seen Isaiah, the priest, from a human reckoning, a young man, probably in his early 20s, dressed in his dignified and impressive robes, going about his business in the temple, you would have drawn the conclusion that he was one of the best men in the land. And by human reckoning, that is exactly who, who Isaiah was. We've got no reason to believe that there was any known or outward hypocrisy in Isaiah's life. We've got every reason to believe he was a decent, clean-living Hebrew, devout in his daily worship, devout in his practices, and conscientious in his ministry. And yet this same man would soon be crying out, Woe to me! With the deepest sincerity of his heart, agonising over what he saw as filth in his life. He'd been a true servant of God. And yet, when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he couldn't see anything decent in himself. He went from fulfilling the dignified religious routines of his daily life having a completely undignified breakdown because somewhere along the way he'd missed God and that's a problem we can all suffer from amongst all our services and activities it could be the most important person gets overlooked we fail to see the Lord we engage in all that religious stuff. Worship, music, preaching, ministry to the poor, teaching children and youth, going to conferences, engaging in street evangelism. And yet we see nothing inadequate. Nothing missing from our lives amongst all this activity. Once in a while we might confess our weakness, own up to our dependence on God. But deep within us we feel that everything's okay. Everything's well with us and the world. Now at some point that has got to change. God wants us to be totally ruined so that he can put us back together again. Because only then can he really use us and deploy us in his mission in the way he wants to. Some of the older people here will remember England's great victory against Germany in the 1966 World Cup final. I'm just about old enough. I remember my mother broke the couch. Okay. She got a little carried away, jumped up, came down rather heavily on one of the wooden bits, and it cracked. So we had to have a new three-piece suite, because England won the World Cup in 1966. 
at the end of the match, England's captain, Bobby Moore, who'd led his team to success, who'd sent a nation into ecstasy. went up to receive the trophy from the hands of Queen Elizabeth II. In an interview shortly before he died in 1993, the, the interviewer said to him, it must have been a wonderful experience before such a huge crowd. No, Moore objected. It was terrifying. As I was going up the steps to the royal enclosure after the game was over, I noticed that the Queen was wearing some beautiful white gloves on her hands. I looked down and my hands were totally covered with mud. Here was Moore, contemplating the fact that within moments he would shake hands with the Queen with her spotlessly white gloves on. And if you watch the footage of those moments, you'll see Bobby Moore looks quite anxious. He's desperately trying to wipe the mud off his hands onto his clothing. He's worried that he will be embarrassed before the Queen because he will soil her royal person. And he'll soil it with his filth. Now, if a mortal man can feel like that in the presence of someone who is only, after all, a mortal woman, doesn't matter how important she is, that's all she is, what must it be like to stand before a holy God? The King of Kings, the Lord, the Creator of the universe. Our God who is burning with such a holy radiance that even the angels have to shield their eyes. Would you feel ready for such a moment? Let's put to one side for a moment the emphasis that we put on our outward image. Because Jesus shines the spiritual searchlight of God to actually expose our inner motives. Our thoughts and our desires, not just our outward conduct. Jesus turned the establishment of his day on its head because he teached about taught, about inner motives, about thoughts and about desires, about the desires of a person's heart and the fact that that's where sin has its origin. You can read about that in Mark 7, 6 and 8 and in Mark 17, 23. Jesus contended that observing the rituals of the law was useless. And it was useless if you were sinning outwardly or if you were hiding secret sin in your heart. For the first time, Jesus opened people's eyes to the fact that you could commit adultery in your heart by looking lustfully at people other than your spouse, not just by carrying out the physical act. He taught that the sin of murder included words of contempt or slander that destroy a person's dignity or reputation. He taught that hatred 
is the very root of murder. And God sees it all. Which of us then would want to stand under the burning gaze of God? And which of us could not feel like Isaiah did? But unlike Bobby Moore, Isaiah wasn't looking down at his hands and thinking, Oh no! The thing he became immediately unaware of was the uncleanness of his mouth and his lips. As a priest, Isaiah's mouth was one of his most important tools. He used it in the ministry of restoring and spiritually building up broken people. He verbally taught the scriptures to others. The words of his mouth were the expression of his inner spiritual life. And until then, he probably felt quite proud of the fact that he spent his life teaching the truths of Scripture to other people. But then suddenly, before God, he felt like his mouth was no better than a sewer. He knew that instead of being righteous and holy, he was actually dirty. Isaiah was like someone who working in a kitchen who thinks they've set really high standards of hygiene but suddenly wakes up and realises they've been preparing the sandwiches with a rusty old knife. Not the clean stainless steel blade they thought they'd had in their hand. That they'd been making those sandwiches on a worktop that's just a breeding ground for bacteria. Would you want to eat those sandwiches? In all this teaching of scriptures, Isaiah realised that he hadn't been helping or healing anyone. Instead, he'd been more like a surgeon, performing operations using an unsterilised scalpel. Who could he possibly cure? And we need to see that we also are perhaps dirty instruments. We who are carriers of the Lord's ministry and message, who are meant to be a blessing to others, often are the same. And that sometimes we're the very last people to admit it. Trouble is, something of that dirt becomes contagious. It spreads to those we try to minister to. We know that our hands and our mouths are soiled and dirty. If we dare to acknowledge it. Even our greatest talents and gifts need to be cleansed by God. Otherwise he can't use them. we want to see them used for the glory of God, they need to be burnt with his fire. And so like Isaiah, we need to be burnt clean. We need to be exposed to the holiness of God, cleansed and made ready for service. 
Will you allow yourself to get that close to the fire of God's presence? In the end, we must. Shall we stand? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 